Hello, and welcome to IndieWire's Very Good Television Podcast. I'm Liz Shannon Miller at Lizlet on the Twitters. And I'm Ben Travers at Ben T. Travers on the Twitters. And we're joined this week by a special guest. Hello, world. Uh, yes, yeah, Steve Green is joining us, our wonderful colleague who, and it's largely a, a you know, not, it's not just because we're the only three p- people in the office at the moment when we record this, um, but it's also because uh, we are going to talk today about the so- what, what Ben considers to be the show of the summer, um, Sharp Objects. I'm not saying I don't agree with him, I'm just, I feel like there was something else maybe I was saying is the show of the summer, I don't remember what now. Um, anyways, point is, is that show of the summer, as declared by Ben Travers, all three of us have seen the season series theoretically finale. Um, as you listen to this and as you listen to this, it also aired last night on, it aired Sunday night on HBO. So this is now going to be, this is now considered this now your spoiler warning. This is hardcore spoiler time because we all have a lot of feelings. I think at least we do. I know Steve does and that's why he's here and welcome to my (laughs) TED talk. (laughs) Hello. Hello. Uh, I just, I just want to say, uh, for the sake of, 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 Completing the intro, uh, oh, yes. I am at Steve Brewer on the Twitter. Yes, that is very Just, important information. I, I, I feel like I feel like we weren't able to really continue until that was said and done. Yes, this is going to be the very, a very, very giggly podcast about a show that really should not be inspiring the, these this many this much amount of uh, mirth. Welcome Debatable. to the psych- Welcome to the psychological defense mechanism hour. <laughs> <laughs> welcome to coping mechanisms one hundred and one. Who needs to cuddle a mooncake? No, I feel great. You feel great. That was it was an inspiring show. <laughs> ben, okay, again, spoilers. We're going to be talking about the entirety of the, uh, not just the entirety of this of the eight part series, but we're going to be talking, I think, also a little bit about the book. Um, so, Ben, tell us what you found inspiring about Sharp Objects. Oh, it was really fun. <laughs> like she got to she got to murder so many people and get away with it. I mean, if that's not, you know, uh, a very subtle allegory for uh, the the general populace of America in 2018, then I don't know what it is. I mean, you've got two people you want to kill. One's sitting in this room. Steve, I mean, I don't want to speak for you. Who's the other person I want to kill? I'm sure there's one, at least one more. We all got somebody. It's yeah. 2018. I'm trying, to keep my, I'm trying to keep focused, though. Like, you know, keep my goals manageable. But two is is not manageable. I'm just we're saying well, one about, at a time. We're talking about an allegorical uh, opportunity. We're talking about something where you're you're watching it to experience it secondhand, so you get away scot free. Huh. You don't have to worry about the complications. You just get to have wish fulfillment. That's the whole. I mean, that's why it's inspiring. This is a really this is a really interesting take on the show, and not exactly <laughs> where I expected it to go. Just wait until we do an episode about kidding. Oh, you and I should talk about kidding. Uh, it's off mic at some point because I want to. I want to hear what you think about it. Um, but yes, it's great. Um, so for those who are listening still, <laughs> and God help you for it. Um, basically, uh, you know, I, I don't know, Steve. Why don't you tell us what Sharp Objects was about for you? For me, interesting. For, I, yes, a very. <laughs> for let's say you're not a borderline sociopath. And you see Sharp Objects is not an inspirational drama about overcoming adversity. Debatable. <laughs> I, I think a lot of what Sharp Objects comes down to for me is 
being confronted with the idea that there are things that you will never know. Um, whether it's it's motivations for other people's actions, whether it's things that happen that you never get to see that you're trying to piece together afterwards. Uh, and I think that really comes came across for me in the finale, not only in the way that it, it sort of wraps up for all these characters, but in, in the way that it's structured where you, you do get that sense of complacency going up to the last five minutes where you think, this is this is going to be kind of a, a gradual slope downward to a conclusion, and then to have that that gut punch in the last second and a half of the entire series is, I think, uh, something that really underlines that idea that's been there for all eight episodes and just really hammers home at the end. So that's I I, I it's an ending that made me rethink everything that came before it, but. I, I can't remember the last time that I watched a season finale and immediately wanted to go back and start it again and watch all the way through. It's uh, it's it's been a very rewarding show to rewatch even before you found out what the twist is because of how many minor details play major roles in what happens. So what I really loved about the finale was how it felt like a microcosm of the series itself in that when it began you felt like you had a pretty good grasp of what was going on and you kind of just were invited to sit there with and witness this kind of confrontation that you expected to happen uh to kind of better understand the characters a little bit uh you know to to dwell in the atmosphere of the show and it's a very atmospheric show and then what was so great about the ending was that that you know gut punch that smack in the face that twist in which we you know let's just say it find out that Amma has been murdering children um that's that's part of the scolding mechanism of the series overall like it's it's here to remind you that uh <laughs> I, I mean it's here it's here to remind you uh to to check your expectations at the door to not make assumptions about people to not make assumptions about gender to not make assumptions about anything really like you need to uh fully examine people to understand them properly and you know the casual way in which chris messina's richard just kind of threw alan under the bus and said yeah no i mean whoever i'm sure she had an accomplice pulling the teeth like it was probably alan whatever like you know it's tempting to go along with that because in the moment that's what you'd been thinking anyway that's what you'd been kind of trained by the show to accept and then you know, the ending is a very pointed remark that no, it this this very timid, passive aggressive man had nothing to do with this because he like just because he's a man, he fit the profile in your mind. But that is absolutely not who that human being was. He if anything, he was just a fool. Well, no, uh, nothing to do might be going might be stretching sure, a little no. bit. I mean, he he's a he's a perceptive man in in some regards. So, but at the very like, it seems like the very worst thing he did was allow it to happen. Uh, and maybe help his wife cook the medicine, so to speak. But uh, he he didn't seem to have any part with the rest of it. So, well, I mean, th- that brings up an interesting ethical argument about how much uh, you know, you know, if to allow something like this to happen right under his own roof, in theory, right under his eye, like how much responsibility does he have? in in what happened but i have a i want to start off with this question uh, not start off clearly talking about but i have this question for you guys how many people do you think will watch the finale and just not understand what happened i'm raising my hand because because first time through i i there were definitely very major elements of that 
wrap up that that I had just just didn't connect for me. Um, and that's and that's not the fault of the show. I, th- I think all the information is there if you're really paying attention. And I think that's something that that the show does really smartly at the beginning by introducing all those hidden words, where it's really training you to 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 really sort of pay attention to details that that will be important later on and and, and to know that to, to get you trained to see things and observe them and remember them even if they don't seem important in the moment. Yeah. Um, and so I think going up through the finale, that's something that the show really did well to sort of train fans of the show and the audience to to really get on on a wavelength that it was it was telling the story through. No, absolutely. So much has been said about kind of the the editing techniques that have been used for this and the way that memory kind of plays into understanding the story. And I think that that technique in and of itself is is the same idea. It's a training mechanism to make sure that you're paying attention to what's going on. Um, so I think there will be plenty of people who are who have to kind of rewind or are, have to look online and realize, oh, I needed to sit through the mid credit sequence because you know people turn it off when the credits start. Um, but you should understand it. Like again, it's not the show's fault if you don't get what happened because it's all been put out there for people to uh, to absorb. It's just a matter of whether or not you know you've <laughs> you've engaged with it the way it's asked you to engage with it. I feel like that's a good point. Um, I will say, like, uh, that that fi- that that big important, like, the, probably the most important montage of the entire series, which is the you know one that kind of tracks the exact the exact aftermath of what happens uh, once uh, Adora gets arrested. Uh, you have to watch every frame of that sequence, mm-hmm. every frame, including stuff like, oh. Why did, uh, you know, like, the fact that it's not just that, it's not just that, uh, especially, like, in, especially towards the end, like, where you it's not just that uh, the name of, uh, I think, it, do we, we learn her name in the show? The, May, her friend? Her friend, yeah. I believe it's May. Okay. In the book, it's Lily, I think. But okay, uh, maybe, maybe that's the mom's name. What May is one of someone's. Yeah, name. but anyways, Amma's new friend. Like you see her showing Camille, like the little blanket that she made for the dollhouse. It's not that. It's not just that uh, Amma threw away this blanket, and that's what leads Camille to go look inside the dollhouse. Is that it's a blanket that was made by her friend, and. Like that's such a key important detail, but it's so it, it happens in a blink, and you could easily miss it. Yeah, well, don't I mean, don't don't text and watch the show, guys. <laughs> it's not safe. It isn't. Yeah, I I feel like the just the pacing and structuring of the final episode, uh, you know, and those final scenes is is crucial to that because you start to feel like you've reached your climax already and you're just coasting through the epilogue you know the even the fact that they use a montage uh to incorporate a lot of that uh a lot of what happens after the fact you know that they find out adora poisoned her kids um a lot of like that builds into the expectation that okay we're gonna just cruise on through to the end of this thing um but you know that 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 scene in and of itself, where the where the mom stops by and asks about, like, I think they had a fight. Like, I mean, mm-hmm. that is just a very ominous thing that stands out as soon as you're watching it. But if you're still on cruise control, if you're still thinking, all right, well, this is just gonna you know lead to an eventual end, or it's it's just a a button to get Camille to another place or to show her as you know a new motherly figure, whatever. 
you're still going to, you know, kind of be slapped in the face by that final line um, and, you know, the final scene. So There's an interesting uh, thing that this reminded me of. Um, there's a movie from 2005 called Cache, uh, mm-hmm. Michael Haneke film. Yeah. Have, you, have you have either of you seen that? I think um, I I think I heard it was really really good and also really really hard to watch and I did not see it. Uh, it there's a very interesting uh, sort of spiritual connection between these two because in mm. in that film, without sort of giving any details, the very last shot of that movie, if you miss if if you miss or don't see one particular detail. It's a, it's a very long, unbroken take um, at the very end, static shot. Uh, and if, if there's one piece of information that you do not see, it completely it completely reframes how you see the whole rest of the movie. Hmm. And, and so I think the point isn't that there's a correct way to watch this or, or that there's a correct um, sort of analysis. I, th- I think there's enough, there's enough text in there to, to, to connect. And, and find out what happened to Emma and, and what happened to her friend, and obviously. Right. But but I think the point is that the show is is so rooted in things aside from that. Uh, there's a reason that you see so much of Adora poisoning her kids, and you only see Emma strangling people for a split second. <laughs> like like that that's there, there's a very distinct point it's making about who in this story is worth keeping your eye on and and is for for lack of a better word the the monster that it wants to sort of bring out of the closet and it's a master of misdirection like yeah. the entire show has used a lot of different tools to misdirect the audience um but well to direct the audience in, in ways like you know the the sixth episode especially kind of pointing toward the women in general it's like don't like it's it's making that point very loud and clear and yet at the same time you know there's there's lots of different little techniques where you think the point of the scene was this and then you find out later on oh it's that i mean even even amma sitting at the dinner table at the start of this episode and talking about how she's uh, the goddess persephone who uh, what's the it's um she's in, like in charge of not penalizing she's in charge like hades is the lord of of but he but she's in charge of uh are you asking doling the, out are, punishment is are you asking the mythology of persephone well, I'm asking what she said. What she this, says. Yeah. What she says oh. in the series about Persephone, which is, I think, she's in charge of, and then she feels pity for Persephone. Which I mean, there's all these great touches, but in that moment, that's shortly following this epic stare down between Patricia Clarkson and Amy Adams. And when you're going into this episode, you're thinking that's the confrontation we're waiting to see. Emma is a is a as a bystander. She's somebody who's who's just a victim who we're trying to save. And you know, her wearing the crown and and being all sick and dolled up like that only further invites you to believe that. But the words are still there to kind of poke at you and be like, "Wait a second. What's going on here?" To to that point and it's something you brought up earlier about um about Richard just kind of assuming that or just kind of like poo-pooing the accomplice part um, when he's in the when he's in the hospital room and and the two of them are in the hospital beds, when he said uh, he probably had an accomplice or something or whatever he says, Emma, like her eyes perk up and look at him right at that very moment. Yeah. So I mean, just little things like that that are, um, you know, I, I think it's 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 very easy to call those like Easter eggs, but that's just storytelling. That's right. just no. that that yeah. that's attention to detail it's, on on yeah. a level that, that rewarding I think, the viewer for that. Yeah, yeah, um, um, which let- is. You know, and, and to your point, to both of your points about kind of how there's not really a wrong way to watch it, that's just one other reason that makes it so good. Like, if you 
were cruising along to figure out what the mystery was, and you just kind of, you know, uh, caught enough to understand that Adora's kind of a shitty mom, and I don't like her, and then you found out what she was doing, you're like, oh, that's nuts, and then the twist happened at the end, and you're like, oh my god, it's even more nuts. It's still going to be a rewarding show. Like, you're still going to have a lot of fun watching this show. It's going to be an inspiring TV show, if you will. Uh, but... <laughs> But if you actually wanted to, you know, dig in deep to some of these darker issues uh, during your summer binge, there's so much there to explore. So yeah, um, I did a little casual googling to find to try to find the Persephone quote, um, and this is from the book. Um, but yeah, I'm not saying uh, she would want to be Persephone. She's the queen of the dead. She was so beautiful, Hades t- stole her and took her to the underworld to be his wife. But her mother was so fierce, she forced Hades to give Persephone back. But only for six months each year, so she spends half her year, half her life with the dead and half with the living. Uh, I feel sorry for Persephone because even when she's back with the living, people are afraid of her because of where she's been. And even when she's with her mother, she's not really happy because she knows she'll have to go back underground. And then she that's grinned at... That's from the book? She, that's from the book. Yeah. And that's... Yeah. Hold on. Um, she grinned at Adora and jabbed a big bite of hand into her mouth, then crowned. Cried, cry. That may be a, a typo. Yeah. But um, that, that's why I love that this finale is is co-written by Gillian Flynn and and Marty Noxon. Yeah, yeah. That, that, that this is kind of a it, it's 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 a TV writer sensibility to come in and say let's let's take something that may have worked in a novel and. And kind of trim it down and, and dial and it back, dial yeah. it back, yeah. and and make it a little more subtle, so that way when you actually see it, you're not having to imagine it. it if it's in front of your face, you can you can put the pieces together a little easier. Yes. My, my my favorite uh, myth, mythological character is the woman is the girl who gets poisoned by her mother slowly over years. <laughs> and I, another another of my favorite details from the finale is when Adora is giving uh, Camille the 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 mixture. Uh, a little, a couple drops of it just spill on her clothes, and it's just, it's just a, 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 a nice little indication that this tightly manicured world that she'd made for herself is just starting to slip just ever so slightly, and that's all it takes for for this sort of thing that she's made for herself to to just disappear in a snap. Well, I think it was on that was. I think that was on the action of uh, Camille asking for more, which was, again, about Camille taking a little bit of the control away and, and pushing Adora into a situation where she's lost sight of the real purpose here. Um, so, yeah, no, it's that I, I, there's I think there's so much to read in this that I think the best case scenario is, you know, as people decide to binge this in the coming weeks, you know, where they're like, well, I don't want to watch it weekly. I'll just watch it all at once. Once it's all, all available, they'll be sent back to the start and it'll be good. Noted, uh, binge and anti binge crusader, Ben Travers. What, what would you say to someone who was considering of watching all, all of these back to back? Uh, I just, I just reemphasize paying attention. Like I just say, you know, however you can replicate the the sense of being in a movie theater try to do that again so like you know don't look at your phone <laughs> don't don't have another activity going on um if you're gonna binge it it's still a very rewarding binge because it's not that long the episodes even are very short like compared to a lot of hour-long shows that are out there looking um, at you Mayans. so it's it's something you can you can definitely get away with it's just it's just that 
it takes a level of discipline that I feel is lacking in a lot of the populace these days. You know, we've been trained to kind of treat treat TV as a background entity a lot of the time. Um, and this is one of those shows where you just want to kind of stand up and shout and scream and wave and be like, hey, this is this one you got to pay attention to. Like, it'll be worth it. Like, don't worry about planning something to do while this is on. You can just watch this and it'll be great. Yeah. Um, shoot, I had something I was going to I was going to say um, – I feel like this might be a really interesting show to watch one episode a day for for like two weeks, like just like one like like you know similar. If one of my favorite reading experiences ever was when I read the graphic novel Watchmen for the first time, mm-hmm. which is broken down into twelve very clean chapters, and I was very firm with myself that every night for for twelve days. I read one chapter and then I put a bookmark in and I closed the book and I put it down and I went to sleep. Um, had some weird dreams. <laughs> weird dreams over those two weeks. Uh, but I feel like I feel like this is a I'm not saying it's a good bedtime story necessarily, but I feel like it's one if you're going to, like if you pace it out over the course of like a week or two, I think it would I think it would it wouldn't be like an intense binge, but it, I think it would play it would you would keep you in that world to a degree that I think would play nicely. Um, so one thing I want to make sure we bring up is, you know, we already touched on the book to a degree. Um, Steve, you pointed out, I had, I've only read, I'd only read the first half of the book. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, you know, Ben, I don't think you've read any of it, correct? No, I've read some of it. How far did you get? Um, I, I've been just picking it up from time to time. Now that we have a copy around the house, but before the show came out, I started reading probably the first couple chapters in a bookstore, and I go to a lot of bookstores, so I've, I've kind of just randomly flipped scenes to see how they compare, and uh, I mean, I don't last long. I probably read about, I don't know, 50 or 60 yeah. pages of it. Yeah, I didn't mean it. I was just basically getting on a comparison point. Um, but, but you know, Steve, you mentioned reading, If it, as, as essentially, I guess this is the recommendation we can offer which is if you're not totally clear on everything that happened during the finale the book is very clear and very specific about a lot of really fun details uh that you may or may not have picked up on in the in the show and you know you you can argue canon all you like but if you are looking for someone to just kind of cleanly lay out explain to you everything that happened um yeah, going to a bookstore and picking up the last and just kind of reading the last twenty pages, or paying good money for a book, because book- and reading the whole thing and savoring those last twenty pages. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. <laughs> I, one thing I will say about how the, how the the book ends is it's very matter of fact and it's very um, it's very straightforward in a way that's that's just as chilling as the ending of the series because it's it's explaining these horrific, excruciating things. Uh, almost after the fact, like, like you said, that that, that sort of downswing. Uh, y- you're you're on cruise control because you think you're in the epilogue. In the book, you actually are literally in the epilogue uh, when this happens, and and so it, it is a it, it's a very careful bit of reframing that works, I think, in both contexts. And and as a as a yeah, it is part of the end of the book that struck me as as struck me as something I didn't care for hmm. was what actually happened to Camille, like what she did after she found yes. out what happened. That's that's and a very big change. That's very a very big glad change. that this was cut from the show. Um, it, it it 
I think there's a lot of things. There's a lot of relationships that are just slightly tweaked. I mean, Richard and, and Camille's relationship. Richard in general is seems like a massive overhaul between show and, and book. Um, but that that ending where Camille kind of retreats and ends up being like adopted by her editor. Is that how it yeah, works? Yeah, basically. Um, so that she's she's being like properly mothered and regressed to childhood in some way. Like I, that sounded, that was tough to hear. Like that was tough to read. I, I don't think that gels with the Camille we've come to know in the show. Um, and that's one of the things about kind of blending these two things. That's always weird for me because even when they line up, like you can look at the sharp objects book and the show and say, you know, Amma's the killer, and the mom poisoned her daughters, and she was responsible for um, Marianne's death. Yeah, and you know that's like, oh shit, okay, so it followed it. Like it's the same. It's like it's never quite the same. And the experience you have reading it also usually invites you know you to invent certain images in your head and, and create certain things. But um, but yeah, like it's 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 something where I'm going to sit very happily with the ending of the series. And uh, I think that's my question to you guys, because we've had discussions about this in the past. Um, I feel like the endings of each episode are full throttle, kind of, uh, just just bombs that are dropped. They're, they're very good at that, which launches you forward to the next thing, which I think is one of the reasons why it's, it's going to be hard for people to to binge it and just cut themselves off it's like the end even if you felt like you were dragging is going to launch you into the next one um but i feel like that is mimicked in the ending of this even though it's supposed to be the actual ending the final ending the the, the series finale instead of the season um do you feel like people are going to be clamoring for a season two and do you want a season two i i i don't think people will be um because i think there is something there is something definitive about that that one tiny mid credit sequence that I don't know where you go from that. I, I don't I don't know that people would be wanting to spend time with Emma after seeing that, and I think that that's one of the one of the driving forces I think made this season so interesting was that interplay between Camille and Emma, and I don't I don't see how you get that same feeling from wherever a season two would go now i said this i probably would have said the same thing about big little lies last year that that (laughs) (laughs) um but yeah i think as it stands now i think um and also you know we'll before that would even be a possibility we will get big little lie season two so if that if that turns out to be a disaster then i think people might see that as a cautionary tale and might be less willing to try and extend things that had a finite ending to begin with. It seems somewhat optimistic coming after uh, True Detective season two. Yeah. For a third and yet. But I mean, I, I, I am in fact still wary about season three of True Detective. Well, no, of course. I'm not, I'm not saying there's no reason to be wary. I'm saying that there is reason to be wary when something like that happens and yet the interest <clears throat> remains, which is why I agree with you in terms of what I think is the best reason why this should be the ending. I don't want it to continue. And yet I kind of disagree in the sense that I think instinctually at the end of this hour, people will be clamoring for a second season. And if they don't think it through to what that season might look like, then they'll just keep asking about it. And I think that will continue. I think they'll. I think the people who made the show will face the same questions Big Little Lies people did. I think they'll face the same questions of, hey, what are, you, are you thinking about doing another one of these? And that'll happen for like a year, two years. Right. Who knows? 
I, um, I can see why David E. Kelly would want to come back to and revisit that world a little bit more and, and sort of follow the that group of women in the aftermath. Mm-hmm. Here, like, I don't I don't see Flynn and Noxon and Valet jump champing at the bit to to hop back into this world again. Right. Like well, that's that's the big difference. Is I I don't think the people who are involved with that made this what it was would be willing to return. Which I think is just that that's that's what it is. If only someone had asked all of those people about what they thought about a season two back in May, back before they made other statements. Um, <clears throat> yeah, I've. I've hinted at this before, um, at, but like you know, at TCA's, Marty Noxon made a big point of saying we are not talking about a season two. This is it. We heard, but I did ask back in May when I did a bunch of interviews, "What do you guys think?" And this, I'm just going to read Jillian Flynn's quote here because she said it on the record. Um, uh, Jillian Flynn basically says, "Like I could easily write a book right now," and even I debated at the time if my flex, my second book would be the second the next story. Um, and then Sharp Objects didn't sell well enough at the time to imply that anyone wanted the second installment. Dot, dot, dot. I love these characters. I really do. I always wonder what happens to them when I get to the end, when I write the end. So never say never. And that was kind of the general attitude was never say never, except for Jean-Marc Vallée, who very firmly said never say never. <laughs> very said never. Uh, though he did say he would he would have considered going back for Big Little Lies season two. Mm-hmm. Um, Only after they renewed it, though. He didn't want it to happen. Right. It was just once they decided to do it, he was like, well... Yeah, and he would have done it if scheduling had worked out. Yeah. Um, if Valley's going to do a sequel, he better do Cafe de Flore, too. That's all I'm saying. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, and I think, you know, Marty Noxon's quote is here. here is, uh, I wouldn't throw HBO out of bed for eating crackers. That's what I'm saying. <laughs> <laughs> so if HBO came to her and said, we want to make another version, we want to make another season. And I honestly, you know, especially, you know, Yes, I'm not either really necessarily a fan of kind of the Camille retreats into a childlike state. And this is actually how Wikipedia puts it. The story ends with Camille learning to be cared for as a child and a daughter for the first time. That's a great message to send anyone who's experienced great, you know, emotional, you know, family, emotional family issues, you know, and is now as and is now trying to cope with them as an adult. Mm -hmm. Like you should just regret you should just get readopted. And become a child again. Um, well, kind of on that note, the last line of the book is what uh, is what Curry reads um, to. Oh yeah, uh, I want to ask what you guys thought of that scene where yeah. where Curry is like reading the story aloud. <laughs> yes, because she the here, story here relive the trauma you just experienced while I read it for the first time. Yeah, yeah, which plays very different in that context. Yes, um, and I like what did you guys think of of, of that like final Curry Camille beat? In the show, I, I thought it was good. I thought I thought it was um, I thought it was what she'd been she'd been looking for for a while. Both uh, an affirmation of what she went through and um, how she was going to talk about it, and that she was able to talk about it. I think him saying it out loud, you know, is obviously convenient for storytelling purposes, but it's easy to go along with. So I was I was fine with that. I, I I'm. Miguel Sandoval did a great job. He was great, and I'm I'm a fan of their dynamic. Um, and it it it's something again where in the show, you can read into it and say, oh, that's kind of like a father daughter dynamic. Like that's kind of like something maybe she's she's been missing or or he's been missing or they both just can can you know, live in well. 
Um, I mean, he literally but, calls her Cubby, exactly. which was like, like, yeah, Cub Reporter, right. like that's, but it was but just that's a very like, he's that a Papa Bear, yeah. he's your Papa Bear. That's where I wanted that kind of uh, illusion to end at the at not even the implication, just the the kind of possibility. So yeah, so it was fun. Um, yeah, I mean, there's the eternal question of do we think Camille's a, is? I mean, she's not a good journalist. We've established that. But is she a good writer? See that? Well, see, I uh, like the whether she's a good journalist or not. Like for me, that that was never that was never something that I got hung up on. What I did appreciate was like what what a perfect way to tell this kind of story through the eyes of somebody who theoretically should be paying attention to so much so many of these details, and and to to have someone who that's literally her job um, to have all these things happen right in the room next to her. Uh, I think that's a that's a powerful statement about how even when even when you have family that whether you're close to them or not, whether you're have a front relationship with them or not, that these things can happen and you still can't process it and still can't put the dots together until years and years and decades later. I think that's like a it's a it's a powerful thing to say about how we perceive people who we're supposed to be close to and who we want to be closer to and we want to understand. Yeah. No, I, yeah, I couldn't really I couldn't really agree more and I felt like again that the series dodged that question in such a way that uh, invited the possibility that she wasn't there doing important journalism. She was there for personal reasons uh, that the editor recognized and and that's its own form of writing and then you know I, I didn't read or remember enough of her actual writing to say if she's a good writer or not but it's easy to believe that she would be so that's kind of all that mattered to me yeah fair enough I mean I think we're I, 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 do you guys have anything else you want to mention about the show like are we kind of I mean are we kind of talked out or do you I mean I think I think it's gonna be one we keep talking about for quite some time you know we've got best of the year lists coming up we've got Emmys next year. Um, well, here, here's here's one thing that that I would say uh, for you. Was there a standout episode? What was was of those eight, of these eight? Is there one that when you when you look back on the show, when you think about it, is there one that's going to sort of stand out to you? I think I can answer and say that episode three was kind of the episode where because that's the one with, with her flashbacks to the to the that's fix right yeah yeah. Uh, I think that's the one where I kind of clicked in with it, mm-hmm. you know, like sometimes sometimes it takes a couple of episodes for me to like get what you're doing um, as a show. And I think that was a great sequence. Um, but yeah, no. I, and, and Calhoun Day is another something created specifically for the show. That's not in the book, mm-hmm. correct? Yeah. Oh, I don't. Yeah, I don't remember that. I, uh, I, I, I think so I could, could be wrong. Like, so. The uh, cherry is the name of that that episode, and that's the one where we first start get start getting the hits about Munchausen by proxy, right? Um, yeah, yeah. Um, what I find interesting about Munchausen by proxy syndrome is every time it comes up in a piece of fiction, like everyone has to take like a moment to explain it. And I'm like, didn't we all see the Sixth Sense? Like, <laughs> am I missing that? Um. So, and and by the way, the sixth sense does not go out of its way to explain it. Mm-mm. Like it, it in fact is very very confusing if you see that movie as a seventeen year old and don't know what the hell is going on. Um, yeah, I think they I think they waited to use that word until the seventh episode. Um, yeah, because it's 
it's key. Yeah. <laughs> and they're very good at withholding. Um, but I feel like, I don't know. I, I, I felt very lucky to be able to study each one and write about each one separately this year. It's been it's been a rewarding show to revisit, as I said at the kickoff of this, and I think it will continue to be one. Um, yeah. And I think it's it's also important to recognize that even if it's not an individual episode that's like a crux or a turning point, this is still a very uh, episodic, serialized narrative that is benefiting from TV and thus not a eight-hour eight movie. Hour movie. <laughs> so nice job making it a limited series, HBO. Way to dodge that two-hour shit show of a movie. Yeah, um, that would not have been a good movie. I say this is someone who has seen the other adaptations of Gillian Flynn's work, and I actually really like Gone Girl, but... Um, not me. Oh. <laughs> uh, but uh, I, yeah, I don't want to talk about the the Charlie's Throne one. Ugh, Dark Places is tough. Yep, and it has so many people I like in it too. So many. Um, but yeah, I think I think we're we're gonna look back on Sharp Sharp Objects as a really good collaboration between some really interesting people, and it's not a combination I feel like you'd see in one mix ever again. And I think we should all be grateful we got what we got. Um, so and congrats in advance on your Emmy, Patricia Clarkson. Fuck yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's going to be... If, if that doesn't happen, geez, Louise, what are we all doing here? Fuck yeah. <laughs> um, that being said, Steve, what was the best thing you watched last week? The, the actual best thing I watched last week, I am legally not allowed to talk about uh, for, for reasons that he will, will be, be sued. Yeah, for reasons that will be uh, he will be killed apparent uh, in a couple weeks. Uh, but uh, going back a little bit before that, uh, I did want to take some time to single out the the gloriousness that is the second half of season two of Detroiters, uh, which is just a, a giant ray of sunshine in a world that really needs it. Uh, I Love this show. I love the the sensibility it has. Uh, and I'll just say, if you just want to see the greatest half hour of TV all year, watch the Mort Krim episode. Uh, it will it will make your life better. So that's uh, Comedy Central. Uh, check it out on the app. Uh, seasons one and two are available to stream. So that's that would be a valuable addition to. Where uh, could you stream them? Uh, you can stream it through the Comedy Central app. Uh, I want to say season one is available on Hulu. I think so, yeah. Uh, I'll and look then this up. Season two will hopefully be available in in, uh, in short supply. Uh, uh, short time. An improvement on your life is what I always say about about time. It's like if you watch about time, <laughs> it will change your life for the better. As the and, luckiest plays in the background. Yeah, <laughs> and frankly, if it doesn't, then I don't I don't care to know you. Good uh, lord. Uh, so on that upbeat positive note, Ben, what was the best thing you watched last week? If you don't like America to me, I also don't care to know you. So uh, let this just be the gauntlet thrown down because so many people are clamoring to be my friend. I had to had to cut off, you know, the hordes. You, you had to have some, <laughs> some standards in place. Uh, but no, I, I wouldn't expect anybody, honestly, to, to find any sort of fault with Steve James stars documentary it premiered at sundance back in january um it's finally available as of sunday night uh they're doing a great push behind it getting it out there to like various screenings and various groups they're having uh, different initiatives uh, including a, a spoken word contest which is really exciting once you've seen the show and kind of understand how the school handles that 
Um, but it's it's very it's a show uh, where they spend a year inside a school in the suburbs of Chicago that is supposedly very um, progressive in both its its way of thinking, its uh, its administration, and uh, its student body. Like it has a diverse, inclusive nature behind it. Um, but there's problems, and and the main crux of the show is that uh, the black students who go there are not advancing but the white students are so they're trying to understand how that could happen and you know steve james the the director of hoop dreams among a million other things he was oscar nominated just last year i mean he he finds you know those little examples through thousands of hours of footage with a, a bunch of different you know cameramen walking around the school and collecting stories um that 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 illustrate this and they illustrate it so well and they illustrate it to to a point where without saying anything more there's been real world you know results that we've seen like in action just from how these people are depicted and 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 you know how well they're depicted uh, to a point where it's it's problematic but anyway the show is just for as serious as that subject is the show is actually a pretty big joy to watch it's something you can just sink into and fall in love with these characters and want to know what happens with their journey um, our colleague Dan Feinberg at THR was with me at Sundance when we screened this, and he's been literally just talking about this one teenage romance and what happens to it since he saw it, and just like, I need the episodes, <laughs> I need to know what happened to these two, and you feel that way. Like you, it's it's such a great show. Um, I really hope uh, people watch it, and it starts you know a, a larger conversation, which is in fact what the children want too. Um, so anyway, uh, that's my best thing i haven't well i saw some of it recently but i saw most of it a while ago liz what was the best thing you watched last week um well i just first want to note that i love it very i think you maybe said the documentary the word documentary once just then like otherwise you're just talking about it as a show that is fun to watch and i think that's a really good way of selling it because i and i feel like documentary can be an off-putting word sometimes for people but that just sounds like a really interesting show if you just contextualize it like that. Well, it's hip and trendy now to sell things as docu-series because docu-series are cool, like making a murderer and, and fucking wild, wild country and stuff. And Last Chance You, which does a lot of yeah. what America to Me does. Okay. Yeah, but documentaries are boring. You know, it's awesome. It's Better Call Saul. Better Call Saul's going to probably be my answer for quite some time um but i also i'm also i'm just i've been shouting out the affair um a fair amount recently and a fair amount oh yeah i did that by accident uh hold on steve yes uh the affairs it it did what it did you guys it's a show i feel like that if you if you want to fight against it if you want to fight against the fight against the ocean then you can, and you're going to drown. If you just kind of want to go with the flow and relax into the waves, I think you're going to, it's going to, it's a much better experience. And that's kind of where I've come to come to come to land on the affair where it's like, I don't know what you guys are. I, I know what you guys are doing to a degree. I don't know if it all works, but I'm, I'm interested in where, where you're going. Where are you taking me? Characters. I feel so mean so mean and spoilery i didn't give a name oh good lord we're all getting yelled at again soon yep um oh man steve what was the next thing you're looking forward to uh so given that there's no guarantee that i will be on this fine show between now and then 
my I'm gonna uh, in lieu of saying a, a particular show, I'm just going to say a calendar date because uh, I'm looking forward to September 14th, uh, which is. <laughs> All the shows, which is a TV apocalypse of, <laughs> by which we hopefully mean a, a, an embarrassment of riches for people who are subscribed to multiple streaming services. Uh, <laughs> you have you have the the comedy one two punch of uh, BoJack Horseman and uh, the greatest show of all time, American Vandal, coming back to season two. <laughs> um, uh, Hulu has the first. Uh, and uh, and Amazon has Forever, uh, the new uh, Maya Rudolph Fred Armisen series. So. One or all of those could be masterful seasons of television, uh, and if I had to put my money on it, I'd say that uh, having 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 not seen all of them, uh, I, I would say that it's 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 very likely that um, that a few of those will probably end up on a bunch of year-end lists. Uh, that that's that's yeah. Good pick, Steve. <laughs> having seen none of them, <laughs> well done. Yes. Uh, well, the next thing I'm looking forward to is a little bit sooner, uh, and it's the return of It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia. Hey! Um, it's a show that continues to be great. Like, it's just, they're very inventive, clever people over there, and they also really enjoy challenging themselves. And when you, you know, put that all in the same room, especially with people who seem to really enjoy working together, then you're, you're, odds are you're going to end up with seasons like the last couple of, of Sunny, which have been really, really outstanding pieces of television. So um, that's coming out September 5th uh, on FXX. Uh, so that's that's my plug for that. There'll be plenty more, but that's, uh, that's it for now. Liz, what's the next thing you're looking forward to? Um, well, I was going to say the first, um, to, which to go into a little more detail, is Bo Willimon's Return to TV, uh, starring Sean Penn and Natasha lovely person who has a complicated last name to say um and yeah i think uh it's it's about space exploration it's about character drama too um those are things i like so we'll see how they see how it plays and and liz you know who also is in that show who ben who's also in that show bill camp yes oh right Welcome we, back to Hulu, Bill Camp. We I, may or may not have just fist pumped in the room. Um, I I need you guys to start ranking your over forty white males. Ooh. Um, like uh, Bill Camp is slots one through four. <laughs> what about? Oh, yeah, you yeah. got you because you, you guys got you guys. They literally will do this. We're just like it's Bill Camp, you guys. It's Scoot McNary. Yeah, Scoot. 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 Scoot's mustache in True Detective season three, <laughs> Emmy um, winner, twenty nineteen. Have oh, we seen? So have, where have we seen that? In the trailer. Yeah, in the trailer. We have seen this. You've seen the True Detective season three trailer. Yeah. Okay. That's why I wrote it up. Okay. Cool. We all have seen it now. <laughs> yes. Right. It aired last night. Yes. Right. Okay. Sorry. Um, and then you have Tom Wompkins, so yeah. There's, there's, there's a lot of complicated. Great use of the full name again. I just can't, can't get over the Minnesota factor of that last name. Yes, uh, lots of, lots of straight white male love in this room. Um, Watch Succession, you guys. It's great. Straight white men get all the way through it. <laughs> Speaking of straight white men, um, I am actually really amused by the fact that uh, out of nowhere. Uh, HBO has decided to bring back Arliss, <laughs> um, it, the the famed Cable Ace Award winning uh, comedy <laughs> that aired for se- seven seasons on HBO. 
My favorite fact about Arliss was until watching the trailer, I had no idea that Sandra Oh was in Arliss as a series regular. And that really amused me because I had just read like that really long and really good vulture profile of her, which never once mentions Arliss. <laughs> it's fascinating. It's just like, let's just pretend like Sandra Oh, I guess, is just on this quest to pretend that Arliss never happened, which fine. But I still kind of want to watch it because apparently it's like ballers, but without the rock. So actually, it's not good, probably, but I am intrigued by Arliss. Well, Again, Cable Ace Award winner, Arliss. First of all, Ballers is good as well because of Rod, Rob Corddry. Eh. So, Liz, come on. I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry I didn't pay enough attention to the straight Rob white man Corddry. on the show because clearly he's the important one. I didn't say he was the best thing, Liz. I said he was another reason to enjoy it. So that should give you hope for another show yeah, about so a straight Don white David man. Wa- uh, Don, John David Washington's amazing on that show. Or at least he's amazing, and he's also and, on that and show. And his brother, Don David Washington. <laughs> Shut up. <laughs> Shut up. It's Friday. Anyway, I was going to ask if you were the one who tweeted out the, the thing about Sandra Oazantz when Arliss got... That renewed. was me, yes. That was you? Yeah. Well, that, I was going to mention it because I felt like that was indicative of how many people know she's on there because that was a, a well-timed tweet by a person with a large following who... You know, is supporting something that uh, a lot of people want to support, and it didn't take off. Like I thought it was going to be a big. You thought my tweet, tweet was going to go viral? Well, not necessarily viral, but I figured it'd get like a, a bunch of responses, and it was like I don't think people got it because I don't no. think they know that she's on the show. No, or they thought like she's a bit part on the show. Like she was in one episode. Okay, whatever. I don't care that much. She's in the screenshot for the trailer. Like she's all over that thing. But yeah, I am. I I, I maybe am slightly joking about this whole Arliss thing, but I am definitely going to be watching it as soon as it's available on HBO Go or HBO Now. Um, so will I write something about it? I don't know. You'll find out on uh, IndieWire.com, where you where you will also find news, reviews, interviews, features, all the stuff you like. Uh, and make sure to listen to all the IndieWire's other podcasts, including the Turn It On podcast with Michael Schneider talking about the 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 best and favorite episodes of television um, with special guests every week. Uh, make sure to listen to the one that started it all, Screen Talk with Eric Cohn and Ann Thompson. And of course, make sure to listen to Filmmaker Toolkit Podcast with the one, the only, the great, the best, the perfect, the ideal, Chris O'Fault. And Steve, thank you so much for joining us today. You can be found on Twitter at Steve Bruin. Come back anytime, Steve. Go Bruins. Uh, yeah, no, it, this is... This is and and honor i i say that not as a joke like I, I i really do appreciate every time i get a chance to be on this fine program fine program we're a fine program we are we did it we did it, it only took 178 episodes <laughs> uh, yeah sure <laughs> and you can also find ben on twitter at ben t travers and make sure to find liz on twitter and like those tweets because they're good ones at lizlet with an i and then any correct <laughs> we will be back next week um thank you guys as always so much for listening hope you enjoyed sharp objects and in the meantime hope you enjoyed it before we talked about it. <laughs> <laughs> sorry ben's mom yeah. um and in the meantime keep watching television 